Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's May 2nd, 2018. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or find us on the Weekly Standard website. All good choices if you're looking for smart, conservative, non-tribal commentary. Joining me today, Mike Warren and Andrew Egger of The Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Hey, Charlie. Well, I want to get into the, you know, the heavy stuff, uh, you know, the Mueller questions, uh, the pushback, Rod Rosenstein, Mark Meadows, uh, Mike Pence. But uh, my favorite story of the day, I have to tell you guys, is, is the return of uh, the Trump doctor, Howard, Howard Bornstein, who and, and I know this has been said before, but it, it is a little bit like uh, now the Trump show has gone into season three and they're returning the comedic characters from season one. Uh, it. It, it is one of those those strange stories. So any, anybody else, any re- reaction to Howard Bornstein now acknowledging that that glowing, gushing uh, letter, doctor's note saying that Donald Trump would be the most extraordinarily healthy human being ever to be elected president was, in fact, written by Donald Trump himself. I, I'm surprised. Uh, I shocked, really, you know, you know, knocked me over with a feather that Dr. Nick, you know, uh, <laughs> the Dr. Nick of Manhattan might uh, might have uh, have not been on the up and up at that letter. Look, I mean, this is it's it, this. We remember this from the Clintons, too. And it, it's a reminder of how the 2016 election was such a difficult choice, I think, for a lot of Americans, because the way that the Trump's. Uh, in Trump world, and, and I guess Donald Trump in particular, sort of, sort of casually make stuff up uh, is kind of reminiscent of the way the Clintons do too. It's just, it's just kind of like breathing for them, and you know the idea that um, you know he has to have a letter that proves that he's you know, so much healthier than, you know, than he obviously is. I mean, this is, you know, a a man in his 70s who eats, eats, uh, you know, fast food and prefers fast food to to any other kind of of food that he would be healthy um, and, and be strong and have the stamina of a healthy person is just laughable. And the the fact that he he's willing to get his doctor to to essentially lie about it um, and dictate to his doctor uh, is just it, it's par for the course. But it's a it, we need to be sort of reminded, I think, of, of just how casually um, uh, Trump world lies about this stuff. And my, and and my and, question and, is and, just and the weird people he surrounds himself with. I'm sorry, Andrew. But, well, I mean, my question is just, you know, if, if it's true that President Trump actually dictated this letter, you know, wrote it himself, and all he needed to do was find a doctor who was willing to say he was the one who'd written it, you'd think really the one qualification that doctor would need to have is that they're not going to, you know, spill the beans a year or two <laughs> later. Uh, so at least a questionable choice, uh, the, the, the long-haired glasses doctor. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going back and forth between thinking that this is just, you know, farce and whether there's any larger meaning here. And, and I think I'm going to go mainly with uh, with with farce. Yes. <laughs> I, I mentioned before season three, it is a little bit almost Shakespearean if we actually did that sort of thing where you have the, you know, the, the, the clown that comes in in the middle of the tragedy. Right. But, you know, there's nothing surprising about the fact that Donald Trump wrote that. It is, as you point out, though, surprising that the doctor is now dishing on him. And this whole bizarre story of the raid to get all of his medical records and they took the pictures down from his his wall. I mean, that's just odd. It's bizarre. It's abnormal. Maybe it's, you know, in, in, in this age. But it also is kind of a reminder that Donald Trump's loyalty, which we've again, once again, being reminded, uh, Donald Trump's loyalty goes only one way. And he's prepared to throw folks under the bus. And Andrew, as you pointed out, that if you're going to do something like this, it's probably not a good call then to publicly break with them, humiliate them in this particular way, 
And I guess I kind of had the Michael Cohen story in the back of my mind, too. Well, I, I really liked uh, Sarah Sanders' response to a question about this in the White House briefing yesterday, where, where she basically uh, she was asked about the, you know, the question of the raid, and she basically just said, uh, yeah, um, you know, the, the White House uh, went and collected the president's medical records as is basically standard operating procedure when, uh, when someone becomes president, which I thought was, thought was just a nice gloss. I mean, I don't know how, how much you can uh, trust the, the story of, you know, the, the you know, violent, you know, intrusion and the, you know, the snatching up of records and things like that. Because as we say, this guy's not particularly a reliable source, but I, I, I just, I liked that sort of official spin that they put on it there. Well, and I just if, hope he sticks around. If you, if you, real quick, Charlie, if you read more of this interview, Borstein feels kind of jilted, you know, that his his life has been turned upside down by this association mm-hmm. with Trump. Uh, you know, he talks about uh, being made fun of uh, online and all these things. Um, and, and he does sort of engender uh, uh, some sympathy, even though I agree with you, Andrew, that he's I'm, I'm not sure we should trust his take uh, sort of at face value on on what happened. But it it, it wouldn't also be out of step with the way that uh, other people have described how sort of Trump world operates. There's been a lot of uh, news over the last uh, 48, 24 hours uh, that I want to catch up with. It, but a couple of things really uh, jumped out at me, and I wanted to get your reaction as well. Uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, I'm going to pronounce it Rosenstein today, although he says you can go either <laughs> way on this, apparently, uh, was uh, was at the museum yesterday. And he was specifically asked about the report that Mark Meadows and some of his colleagues on the House Freedom in the House Freedom Caucus had drafted articles of impeachment. And in the course of his answer, he had this to say. Now, there have been people who have been uh, uh, making threats privately and publicly uh, against me uh, for quite some time. And I think they should understand by now the Department of Justice is not going to be extorted. We're going to do what's required by the rule of law. And uh, any kind of threats that anybody makes uh, are not going to affect the way we do our job. We have a responsibility, and we take an oath. That's the whole point. Mike, did anything strike you about that response? Uh, a few things did. Uh, one, that this is a fight, uh, you know, un- not unusual, right, between Capitol Hill and the uh, and the executive branch and the administration. Um, so that that's not unusual. What's unusual is that Rosenstein didn't respond to you know a question uh, or or this topic with um, uh, with silence, was just saying I'm not mm-hmm. going to comment on this right now. The fact that he feels he needs to defend himself uh, is is revealing. Of course, we know now because Donald Trump has essentially tweeted uh, this uh, this this viewpoint uh, he, as he did this morning uh, that the president. That at the top of the executive branch, Rod Rosenstein's boss, you know, the guy at the very top, uh, sides with the the members of Congress who are who are who are in this uh, fight with uh, with the deputy attorney general. Um, it's not surprising, given all we know in the context of this. But you just kind of step back and and yeah. and think about the way that these fights normally go in Washington. Um, and, and we heard this as well yesterday in the White House briefing room where Sarah Sanders was asked about these uh, uh, these uh, articles of impeachment. And uh, she basically said she's going to stay out of it. Now, this is their appointee. This is a political appointee, the deputy attorney general. They're un- not only unwilling to defend him against these charges from Congress, but the president is actually actively taking those members of Congress side. Um, and, and that is just uh, whatever the merits of any of these things. That is just a fascinating development. Well, 
well, and something and, new. And, and, and Rosenstein, Rosenstein's use of the word extortion, I thought was rather extraordinary. Yeah, Andrew? I think. I, yeah, well, I think. I just to say about the extortion thing. This is clearly uh, Rosenstein saying, uh, you know, sort of come at me, bro. Uh, well, let's 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 have this fight. Well, I really liked uh, pres- when we talked about President Trump's tweet just this morning when he essentially said, you know, it's uh, the DOJ doesn't want to turn over documents to Congress. What are they afraid of? Why so much redacting? Why such unequal <laughs> justice? And then he came out with one of those like classic, vague and sort of ominous Trump threats, which was at some point I will have no choice but to use the powers granted to the presidency and get involved, which obviously could mean, you know, a couple different things. It could be as little as, you know, just his using his presidential powers to, you know, declassify information that he thinks uh, Congress has a right to get its hands on. Or, it, you know, it could be as much as his choosing to fire Rod Rosenstein, which obviously would be a, a remarkable event for a whole number of reasons, both related to this uh, this particular mini scandal as well as all the broader Russia stuff. Well, what really struck me, you know, going back to my the, the the question was was first of all the fact that he uses the word extortion, but also if you watch the video, how confident he is. Rod, I, I haven't seen him a lot, but. That was a very relaxed Rod Rosenstein. Um, he could have been angry. He could have been evasive. Uh, he could have been coy. He wasn't. He looked like a man who was extremely confident in the position he was taking, which suggests to me that he feels um, either secure in his position or very secure in the role that he is playing. And that's why I tweeted out afterwards, does Mark Meadows actually know what he's getting into going to war with the Department of Justice? Because Rod Rosenstein did not look like a guy who was embattled. He did not look like someone who was uh, going to be alone if they came after him. He really went out of the way, went out of his way to talk about all of the uh, folks in the Department of Justice and the oaths that they that they would would take. So this is a hell of a fight. And um, I, if I was in the White House and I was watching just the body language and the confidence of the Deputy Attorney General, I would not be reassured. Okay, this obviously leads us now into the story that uh, has been dominating the news over the last uh, se- several days. The the leak, uh, the apparent leaks from someone in Trump world, we don't really know, of the 49 questions that Bob Mueller wants to ask President uh, Trump. Um, Michael Warren, there were no big surprises, but um, it certainly it certainly underlined how broad and serious this investigation is. Yes, it did. Everything from questions that suggest obstruction of justice uh, is something that Mueller is pursuing to questions about uh, sort of the central point of this special counsel uh, continuing the FBI investigation into Russian meddling and and any uh, potential Trump campaign uh, uh, involvement in that. So, yeah, my, my question on all of these questions and this list of questions is sort of what's the goal in getting these uh, getting these out there? If it is, which I agree with your uh, assumption, your assessment of who leaked it out, somebody around the Trump legal team, although the New York Times says, again, that this was somebody from outside of mm-hmm. the of the legal team proper. Um, the, the question is, why are they are they are they trying to uh, make a statement to uh, to Mueller and saying, you know, um, we're not afraid uh, because it seems to me that um, uh, every step of the way, the legal team has been trying to get uh, President Trump not to talk to Mueller. Um, is this uh, a new sort of strategy 
from Rudy Giuliani. I don't know. Um, but it does show you, again, that the investigation uh, is big. It's broad. We also have to keep in mind that just because we see these questions, um, that doesn't mean that it is sort of exhaustive of what Mueller knows right. and what right. Mueller is going to be looking into. Yeah, there are a couple of really good analyses talking about how, you know how investigators you know have the 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 basically the questioning tree. You know, you answer this question one way, then you have the follow up questions. Uh, that probably is two full days of questioning. Uh, I was really struck by the fact that how that uh, so many of the questions really did look like they were. And again, I know this is a, a term of art uh, targeting the president. I, you know, he he took a great deal of comfort in the fact that he was a subject, but not a target of the investigation. But these questions really go to what did he know? When did he know it? What was he thinking? Um, and it is certainly a minefield. Uh, but Andrew, when, when I read those uh, those those questions, I certainly understood why John Dowd um, would quit or d d depart um, if, in fact, uh, the president is insisting on sitting in a room with Bob Mueller and uh, and those and those investigators. I mean, to, to say that he would be putting himself in a great deal of legal jeopardy puts it mildly. Yeah, I mean, I think you get to the heart of it right there that there's on the one hand, there's all of these questions about, I mean, was there actual misconduct, you know, prior to now that that uh, Trump Trump is going to have to answer for or people around Trump are going to have to answer for. Um, but that is not even, you know, the, the thing that would be at the, the forefront danger of President Trump sitting down in a room uh, with Robert Mueller. And the thing that that, you know, his legal team has been most worried about is that, you know, you, you can't lie. You can't twist the truth at all uh, in in that setting. And these are all very specific, you know, very nuanced questions that are, are targeted um, to get specific pieces of information that Mueller may or may not already know about people you know, surrounding Trump now, people who were surrounding Trump formerly, uh, you know, um, Manafort and Flynn and the like. Um, and, you know, it's it, obviously he would be, you know, guided in such an interview. He'd have access to his legal team and things like that, you know, even in, you know, in real time. So he could theoretically, you know, take it slow and careful and, and, and come out the other side just fine. But there's no question that, you know, just going into that room at all pre would, would still present a, a very clear danger to Trump. And, and we, we can see that clearer than ever with these questions being released. The other report that broke, of course, uh, yesterday was that that apparently there had been a uh, rather, uh, shall we say, intense um, exchange in which Bob Mueller specifically for the first time that we know raised the possibility of subpoenaing the president of the United States, which would which would very likely lead to a protracted, very high profile court fight that might go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which would have to rule on whether or not a sitting president of the United States could be subpoenaed. Mike Warren, do you think it will come to that? I don't know if it will come to that. I sort of doubt, particularly now that this leak has been leaked, that it will come to that, uh, it, although it very well could. There are some questions about whether um, the, sort of uh, whether Mueller would have, have, have grounds to do that. But this sort of puts into – and we, we know, for instance, uh, the AP has said that John Dow, the former attorney, is, is, has been the source of this of this story. So yeah. um, it, it could very well – and you know, I talked to John Dowd uh, a couple of weeks ago very briefly on the phone and uh, something he told me that I thought was interesting was that uh, while he's no longer on the legal team, um, he wants to do whatever he can to help the president. I thought that was interesting. Um, so – this could be in conjunction with the questions, uh, as you pointed out, Charlie, the, the question sort of suggests that there's a lot of sort of 
without without sort of falling into the term of art targeting of the president um, that this could be an effort to sort of uh, as a PR move to sort of show uh, the public that Mueller is going after Trump specifically. This has been a, a sort of message that Trump and his team have been have been pressing, which is that this is an unfair targeting of the president going after him specifically. This could all be designed to sort of underscore and 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 make that point very clear that that in this moment, Mueller said, well, you know what I might have to do? I might have to subpoena the president. Now, aha, now mm-hmm. you can see that this guy is really going after uh, uh, President Trump. Can I just mention real, real yeah, yeah, quick? Sure. Um, I that that sort of a situation, if if it did happen to come to that, and you know the, the the subpoena and going all the way up to the Supreme Court would be amazing, if only for the reason that we would get to see how Justice Gorsuch uh, mm-hmm. responds to that. You know, with the the originalist uh, who's obviously a Trump appointee, and you know, I, I just just as sort of a someone who enjoys you know nutty political drama, I I think that would be a fun cycle to to ride out. Oh, that would be fan. I mean, really, you know, if if in fact the courts do see this as the question of is the president above the law, is anybody above the law, th- th- this could actually be, um, uh, this could rather be, <laughs> to say high stakes and dramatic puts it mildly. <laughs> Here, here's another take on this, and let me see if I can do, state this clearly. I think that, you know, I'm reading a lot of the commentary, um, particularly from conservative commentators. Um, about whether the president should sit down with 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 Bob Mueller and and of course acknowledging what we've been talking about the the, the dangers here, um, and then of course there's the the legal point of view and let me just make this case that 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 if you're a defense lawyer, um, it 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 seems really reckless to put Donald Trump in a room with these experienced investigators, knowing that uh, Donald Trump is so undisciplined, knowing that they know so much more than he knows, knowing that uh, he has this penchant for, um, shall we say, um, uh, a sketchy relationship to the truth. Is that a nice way of, <laughs> of, of putting it? I mean, that's not a, a it's, not, it's not a perjury trap if you don't perjure yourself, but it's hard to imagine that that is not a huge danger. But that's from the point of view of the lawyers. But from the point of view of the public interest, as the president of the United States, you know, isn't it in the public's interest, in the president's interest, and in the interest of our institutions for the president to be held accountable to answer those questions? If in fact this is a witch hunt, shouldn't he clear the air? And I guess I'm I'm, I'm juxtaposing the the take of say the Washington Post. It says, look, you know, should answer those questions. This is part of the responsibility of being the president of the United States. And I wonder about the commentators who are not lawyers who are saying, no, 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 there's no way the president should go into that room, whether they're confusing the various roles there. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Yes. That that if I'm a lawyer, I'm going to protect him. But if I am an American citizen and I'm looking at this and asking what is right and wrong, the only reason to say the president should absolutely not answer these questions is because you don't trust the president of the United States not to lie to federal agents. And that's kind of a disturbing assumption. I think I think you're you're right on that, Charlie, and and the, you're you're sort of getting into um, uh, some questions about uh, about how to analyze and how to, if you're a commentator or writers like like we are, um, how do you analyze? Do you analyze it from the perspective of what is uh, the what again? What should be in the public's interest? Uh, and I and in that sense, I agree with you. I would like uh, for the the president to answer these questions if for no other reason than 
now we have an answer. And if it is a witch hunt, if it is uh, a bunch of BS, uh, then he can sort of clear the air. But uh, looking at it from not just a, a sort of a hard-nosed uh, uh, what is in the president's best interest, but also sort of analyzing it in terms of how is the president thinking about this? How is his legal team thinking about this? I think it, it's important to point out that uh, the president, and I don't think he's alone in this. I think other presidents think in this way, too. Uh, he's just in many ways, as in many ways, more so thinks this way, uh, in terms of self-preservation and preservation of not just only his reputation, but also his position and his office, um, he's, he must be thinking and his legal team must be thinking that um, because he, he, there's the high, high risk that he will, uh, at, the very, uh, at the very best, trip himself up and, and answer things incorrectly, uh, and at the very worst, sort of straight up lie, um, that this is a danger and a threat to the president. And I think that's how they think about it. And it's, it is, I, I think, it's important for us um, to sort of say both things. Um, although, uh, you know, when, when, if, if we're being honest with, you, with ourselves and with our audience, rather than, you know, sort of trying to make a a, a, a point that either helps or, yeah. or hurts the president. Andrew? Yeah, and if I could just throw one uh, additional perspective on the pile here, one thing that you know some some prosecutors that I've talked to about this issue have 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 brought up is that you know it's it's true that uh, President Trump you know oftentimes usually has you know a, a, an uneasy relationship with the truth and the things that he says, but but at the same time you know he's he's he had a long career in business ha- where, which which involved him being in and out of court a lot of the time. You know President Trump has been under oath before you know and he's he's man he, he's he's been through situations like this. Plenty of times. Um, so, so actually, some prosecutors I've talked to, uh, Saul Weisenberg, who was uh, on on the Whitewater investigation, um, what was unconvinced that that it would be you know just like walking into a lion's den for him to do this, which I think speaks to you know the the. the that's why President Trump, for a long time, was was personally very willing to to sit down for this because he he was confident he could get through it, and you know he he thought this was the best way to bring this thing to a con- quick conclusion. Um, I think that you know clearly in just the past month or so, a lot of that has changed um, because President Trump is now apparently increasingly convinced that that Robert Mueller himself is you know a bad actor, is out to get him, and you know uh, especially after the the raid on Michael Cohen's office at the beginning of last month, that that seems to have been sort of a watershed moment. Um, so I think w- one interesting thing about this is just, you know, the especially with that raid on Cohen, um, that was a point where, you know, the uh, President Trump's own sort of media sphere, the the the, the pundits that he likes mm-hmm. and listens to, uh, the Fox and Friends, the Hannity, that, that was a moment where they all sort of went, you know, berserk, not just about the, the Russia stuff writ large, but about Mueller himself calling him a bad actor, saying he needed to get out of there. Um, and, you know, it, it may actually end up have uh, having been a bad development for the president to have become convinced of this, if it's true that he could have, you know, gotten through an interview like this, uh, you know, re- unscathed, and maybe that would have, you know, accelerated the end of the Russia probe. If now instead they gamble on, you know, just pushing back on this, not cooperating with the investigation, um, and you know, just trying, trying to just bank on the fact that Mueller's not going to go as far as a subpoena, um, you know, that, that there's a very real chance that 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 comes back to to bite him in a negative way. I I think that's a really good point. I think we've moved from the the stage of the of the uneasy relationship between the president and the investigators from the um, I think we so we'll call this the Ty Cobb strategy. Don't poke the bear. Just give them what they want. Make nice with them, and and maybe things will work out. 
We've clearly gone past that because, of course, the president takes to Twitter to poke the bear um, on a daily basis and is apparently willing to unleash his congressional allies as well. Uh, Andrew, I want to ask uh, both of you about uh, Mike Pence uh, down in Arizona yesterday. I have a piece up at the Weekly Standard about that as well. We'll we'll do this right after this. Uh, The Daily Standard is brought to you today by Tripping.com. Look, I love to travel, um, but I I don't like a lot of the hassle, particularly going from, you know, hotels to hotels. I really love staying in vacation homes because, well, you know, it's you have so much more privacy, so much more space. Now, if you're interested in that, you don't have to visit a ton of different sites on Tripping.com. One search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. You get more privacy, more space for everybody under one roof, particularly if you have a family, a big family. Uh, Lots of choices, fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms, even hot tubs, all of the comforts of home, and then some. Best of all, at Tripping.com, you can join millions of travelers who find more savings with rates up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. So if you're planning to go down to Florida for some time on the beach, Tripping.com. You want to go to Lake Tahoe, Tripping.com. This year, you can save time and money when you book the vacation home of your dreams with a tripping.com slash standard. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash standard. Your perfect vacation rental. Tripping.com slash standard. All right, gentlemen. Vice President Mike Pence goes down to Arizona speaking at a taxpayer's event, sees 85-year-old former Sheriff Joe Arpaio in the crowd and says he is honored by his presence and then gives him a shout-out as a champion of the rule of law. And, of course, he's uh, he's being roundly criticized, including by a piece that I have about saying, you know, of all the things you could say about Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio, he does not represent the rule of law. This is a man who is actually criminally convicted of defying the law in order to violate people's constitutional rights. So who wants to weigh in on why Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, wanted to give some love to Sheriff Joe? Well, I think that, um, you know, I, I the first that I heard about this was I saw, you know, Mike tweet out last night that, you know, that it was genuinely surprising mm-hmm. to see him give that shout out, which is which is true in one sense, because, you, you know, you wouldn't expect that kind of call out from the vice president. Um, but but I think it's worth pointing out that this is literally the role that Mike Pence fills in Trump world, right? That, that you know, there's, there's all of these crazy, you know, figures, uh, fringy guys who, you know, are affiliated with Trump for one reason or another. We've, we've run through a few of them today, you know, the doctor, the lawyer, uh, the sheriff now. Um, and, 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 you know, what, what Mike Pence does uh, for this, for Trump world is he, you know, is, he's sort of the, 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 the whisperer to the conservative wing of the party. He sort of like reframes all of that in, in sort of constitutional language. So, so even, you know, he goes down to Arizona sees a, a goon like Joe Arpaio, who, you know, the, the like, like you said, just n- clearly no respect for the rule of law in itself, who, you know, ran these prisons that were sort of nightmarish in all these ways. Um, just, uh, and, and the fact that, you know, this guy, Mike Pence, you know, the conservatives conservative can, can just like look at that and, and, and just reshape, uh, Arpaio's running for Senate, by the way, which is another yeah. interesting thing. Cause uh, in and of itself, it's interesting. Yeah. Right, right. But just sort of to reshape this in, in, in the more broadly Republican language is, is, shocking on the one hand, but then at the, at the same time, exactly what Mike Pence is on the team for. 
So, um, Mike, why did you? Uh, why were you surprised by Pence's comments? Um, uh, sort of a more prosaic uh, assessment than than how I, I was not surprised that Mike Pence um, fills that role, Andrew, as you as you say. Um, and uh, it was more surprised that given that race that he's in, which is uh, uh, he's in the primary, the Republican primary for Senate for Jeff Flake's seat that he's retiring from. Um, a, a race, the primary race that uh, that he could win or he could lose. There's th- two other Republicans in that race. They're all kind of neck and neck. It's a it's a primary. You don't really know what kind of the, what kind of electorate turns out. Um, so there's sort of a one third chance that Joe Arpaio gets the nomination. And there's a consensus that I think is correct. It's not just conventional wisdom. It's it's a, I think the correct wisdom that he is of the three candidates, Martha McSally and uh, and Kelly Ward. Arpaio is the worst candidate that Republicans could nominate for that seat, that he he would lose and he would lose by a bigger margin than the other two Republicans to the Democrat, Kirsten Sinema, uh, for that seat. So from a political perspective, and Mike Pence is somebody who's very, you know, you can say what you want about him. He's very attuned to sort of the politics of things. Um, for him to say this and sort of give Arpaio a boost and the the imprimatur of the White House here, um, you know, put aside that that Trump pardoned Arpaio a few months ago, um, I thought was just genuinely I was genuinely surprised that he was willing to go out on a limb here on that and sort of ch- it changed a little bit my thinking of sort of the way that Pence yeah. evaluates yeah. this politically. No, I think I think that's a good point. I, I guess my my reaction was, you know, what you know, once again going back to. Uh, Jonathan, last point about Trumpism corrupting, that of all the things you would say about Joe Arpaio, that he is a champion of the rule of law. But I think this is, a, you know, an indication of, you know, within the was within certain circles of the right, Joe Arpaio has become a rock star despite his clear contempt for the Constitution. Um, and uh, this is the we keep moving the bar about what is acceptable. I mean, I guess I would have been shocked, even given Mike Pence's loyalty. Did he ever go down and, and lavish praise on Roy Moore? I mean, there, there's there's been a, a, he's had a certain skill, hasn't he, Mike Pence, in, in distancing himself from some of the more shambolic a- aspects of this presidency. I mean, there's there seems to be a sort of absence when things are really going badly for the Trump administration. So I guess this was kind of my surprise that that he would have dived into, you know, this toxic corner of the fever swamp. Mm, yeah. And I, I definitely agree with what what Mike just said there that, you know, I've, I've been reporting some on, some on this this race. And it's just it's really hard to overstate how much of a disaster for the Republican Party it would be if if Arpaio were to get that nomination he would he would lose horribly I mean like just I, I I can't predict the future but all the polling shows that he would he would lose mightily uh, to the Democrat in a general election and and the other thing that that's surprising about that politically is that you know it, it's not just that you know the Trump administration is willing to take that chance on the Trumpiest candidate in the race because at the same time you know one of the other challengers here Kelly Ward who, who's you know pr- prior to Arpaio jumping in was sort of carrying the conservative uh, you know uh, Trumpy firebrand flag um, you know sh- she represents all of the same, you know, uh, yeah. anti-illegal immigration type policies um, that, you know, that, that, that Joe Arpaio, you know, represents. It's the same chunk of the electorate that they're appealing to. It's the same sort of uh, promise, except that, you know, that Kelly Ward has legislative experience and Joe Arpaio has, you know, spent his whole career, you know, roughing up. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go, you know, 
yeah. in, in a libelous direction or anything like that. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, like clearly, you know, if 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 you're President Trump and you want a Trumpian candidate to win in Arizona, you know, you you'd think the obvious thing to do, or if you're Mike Pence, would be to endorse Kelly Ward. And you know, he's he's said positive things about her in the past, but it was like Mike said, politically surprising for that reason as well. Yeah, it was, it was not only sort of you know morally questionable, but politically tone deaf, and I think that's that that's a good take on this. Um, we're running out of time here, but Mike, uh, you, you in your in your White House uh, watch this morning, you you did highlight. Uh, I think something was slightly overlooked from Stephen Hayes' one-on-one with Speaker Paul Ryan on Monday here in my hometown of Milwaukee, uh, when they were talking about suggestions that American troops might be withdrawn from South Korea. Um, what, what what did Ryan have to say that caught your eye? Well, the, the context of this is that uh, General Mattis, or I should say Secretary of Defense Mattis, had told reporters he was asked if uh, a withdrawal from the Korean Peninsula of American troops was on the table uh, for these negotiations as the as the president prepares to, to talk with Kim and possibly denuclearize. And Mattis essentially said yes. Uh, and Ryan, when asked that by, by Steve uh, uh, at, the, at, the, at the summit, um, Sort of had almost had a physical reaction. I didn't get into mm-hmm. it in my piece, but almost kind of went his 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 head kind of went back uh, a little bit, uh, and and he basically said that he's he's not he's not okay with with that at this moment. That we we simply um, would be uh, we we need to know more about what Kim is willing to do and actually see some concrete steps. And I think that is you know the Speaker of the House, um, the National uh, Security and Defense is not necessarily in in Paul Ryan's uh, specific wheelhouse, but as 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 the second in line to the presidency, um, he knows he knows a lot of information and intelligence, and 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 uh, is sort of keyed into these conversations. Uh, and I think that reflected from Paul Ryan. It struck me um, a, a sense from uh, from a lot of people in Washington that um, the, the the administration may be getting out a little over its skis about what to expect uh, from Kim, what Kim is promising, um, and and to sort of urging a wait and see uh, uh, mentality whether when. It comes to these promises of denuclearization. I think it was an important moment that I agree, Charlie, sort of went under the radar, uh, maybe because it was it was later in that conversation that, that Steve had with, with Paul. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.